Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 58 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, um, full of caffeine and never sleeping again. And joining us tonight, you know him from such films as Absentia and all the creatures we're starring, from such TV shows as Parks and Recreation and Modern Family and also from the new show The Dungeon Run, it's Mr. Morgan Peter Brown. Morgan, hello. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here today. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to make this work for a little while, so it's great to have you here. I know, I'm so happy. I'm so happy we were finally able to do it. My wife and I were actually in Scotland around this time last year, so I'm, I'm a little jealous uh, that I'm back there as we speak. Mm. Well, what I can tell you is you're not missing much weather-wise. Um, <laughs> I don't know, it's 95 here right now. I wouldn't mind it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, so, Morgan, you were pretty concrete. Um, with your choice when I asked you about what you wanted to do. So um, back to 1988. I thought there was no way someone hadn't done it yet, actually. I was like, right? No? no? Okay, then yes, let's do this. I know we've had a couple of other fourth installments, but not this one. Is this our first Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street film? It's our first Elm Street film, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to be here to, to christen it for the podcast. Excellent, excellent. Why? So why this film specifically? You know... Okay, so the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise for me growing up was probably the thing I watched most. And and it's it's really something that even rewatching them more recently, I was like, wow, this definitely did have an influence on me and inspirationally and just being, you know, like the idea of imagination and dreams holding power and stuff like that. But I watched these movies so much. My mom kind of just let me rent whatever I wanted <laughs> when I was when I was around ten or twelve or you know something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, specifically, three Nightmare on Elm Street three and four, I watched a lot. And uh, Nightmare three, rightfully so, has has um, gained or or basically been recognized as really good and you know like surprising in, in how much quality and and. Uh, character and and cool stuff it's able to pull off with frank darabont and everything yep four is bananas <laughs> <laughs> and and there's so much to unpack here we were talking about before we started that we both we, we all have like i have so many notes <laughs> because i was just <laughs> there's so much to talk about with this movie and and there's a lot of it that feels like it's just a 1980s music video but then having said that there's a script by brian helgeland who wrote la confidential which is like one of the best scripts for the last 30 years there's a there's his first feature script underneath it all and so there's really good scenes kind of interspersed throughout of like damn this stuff between alice and rick is actually really like heartfelt and good (laughs) so you want to dismiss it sometimes as just this bonkers thing but every now and then you're like, no, there's something really cool here. <laughs> and then a dog pisses fire and you're like, all right, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I got to say, I mean, so Morgan, did you did you see these in order? Wait, that's a good question. Maybe. Yes. 
I think so. Honestly, I, I it was so long ago that I don't remember. Okay. I may have seen them in order, but then I really liked three and four, and so I kept right. I went back and rented them again over mm. and over. You know, two two I just didn't know what to do what to <laughs> do with. I was like ten or eleven. Two is incredibly confusing when you're young. You're like, <laughs> yes. Wait, what? I mean, they. <laughs> Yeah, what? I mean, they're all kind of confusing if you think about them for longer than a minute. And the first one, I think, genuinely freaked me out. Mm -hmm. The horror, specifically with, um, what's the character's name? Tiffany, that that gets dragged across the ceiling. That whole famous scene in the first one, like, really terrified me. So it wasn't as much fun. But three and four, I, I just kind of, you know, just the idea of this having a superpower in your dreams and being able to use that to, to fight the evil was really cool. And, and it's basically like early superhero stuff, really. Cause every, like it's, and that kind of established that really well in dream warriors where it's, you know, Kincaid's super strong and, uh, and Kristen's got this weird acrobatic power and she can kind of jump and fly all over the place. <laughs> and Joey can talk. Yeah. Joe and Joey can talk. I <laughs> 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 kind of got the short end of the stick on that one. And so it, it's sort of every kind of, be- everyone kind of becomes a superhero and they kind of run with that in this one, uh, to an even further extent. Mm-hmm. Morgan, you know what you have to do now. I think if you've been listening to the podcast a little bit then you'll know what we're gonna ask you to do and this could be a tricky one i think for this okay all right um Hit me. so yeah for the benefit of anyone who is uh listening to the show without having seen nightmare on elm street 4 i'm gonna count you in and gonna take your best shot at the 30 second synopsis okay all right here we go right three two one <laughs> go the three surviving members from the hospital who killed Freddy at the end of the third one are kind of tormented by visions of him and about a feeling that he's going to come back. And for some reason, it isn't really totally clear he comes back. <laughs> and uh, and basically what happens is Kristen, who is one of the surviving members, accidentally, through a power of her own, brings in new friends into the dreams, inadvertently like exposing Freddy to this whole new crop of kids. Done. And then Time. Course, damn. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got what we were saying. Okay. The scene. That's fine. <laughs> yep. Yep. Definitely in the top half. Oh, thank you. Okay. I appreciate that. I'll take Andy. I think we should just start by bringing everyone up to speed on what, where we are here in the franchise. Okay. So we'll like we've said, <laughs> yes. Freddy's dead. He is killed by John Saxon and uh, yes. the, the kind of boss guy from the, the, the kind of mental hospital. Another film with a mental hospital, Mitch, yep. that's kind of tangential. Racking him up. It's also the, the sheriff from Black Christmas, right? Yeah. Played a lot of cops in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and sadly, Nancy Thompson is dead. Right. So, And you see her uh, uh, gravestone later on in the movie. They, they show her <laughs> in the background. They- but yeah, I caught it. You mean the graveyard yeah. where all the dead kids are all buried right next to each other? <laughs> all right next to each other for some reason. I wonder why the families are like, why Why does Kincaid need to go? Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the kid massacre corner of the, the graveyards. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's where we are. That's Freddy's where gone. we are. Nancy's oh. gone. And also, so has Patricia Arquette. She's also gone. Tuesday night does a fine job as Kristen, but boy, she's got a tough job to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, was, I actually have written down that Elm Street 4 opens on Kristen 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> and the yeah. hilariously named Tuesday night, who also, we actually hear before we see, because it's her that's singing the, the opening title theme. That's right. That's her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the, the movie goes overboard in trying to remind you that, no, 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 she's Kristen now. 
now. She's Kristen. I feel like in the first five or ten lines, people anyone says to her, it's like, Kristen, come on. Hey, Kristen. It's like, hey, this is Kristen. I actually remember the first time I saw this. For I would I would say a good while into the film, I was like, who is this character? As she nervously plays with her, hello, my name is Kristen Batch. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I care? <laughs> do you know, I think uh, it had been so long since I'd seen it. I think it wasn't until Kincaid and that came into her dream. I was like, oh, hang oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, speaking of which, the dream that we open on here, um, I think that creepy is the watchword. She is beset by creepy children as she advances on a creepy house, enters a creepy hallway, and is eventually waylaid by a creepy explosion. Sure. That's right. Of course. Yeah. There's a lot of creepy explosions in this movie. Some in dreams and some not that I was just sort of like, We'll get to that. There, there is definitely some playing with. Wait, if that that wasn't in a dream, why did the windows just explode? See, more a couple moments like, wait, it's not in a dream. Why is there a massive claw across lockers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a, there is quite a lot of that. Where uh, the, the kind of there light, is a the lot. Of, is there's blunt. a lot of what I what I will call music video logic in this movie. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it's Rennie Harlan's first big movie. Yeah. And it's also like there, there's an interesting history to this movie, too, because this is the biggest movie of the Elm Street franchise. Yeah. Like number three, I think, did better than anyone expected it to do. If you go back and you look at like budgets and how they actually like performed, number three made like forty five million dollars on like a five million dollar budget. And so they're like, wow, OK, we're going to go big. So with this one, they like more than doubled the budget. It's like a twelve or thirteen million dollar budget. And it made about $50 million worldwide. But it, it also feels like the biggest movie. Yeah, That's another thing like to, to speak about that, that really holds up well in this movie is the, the, the makeup and creature effects are incredible in a couple scenes. Really gross, yeah. <laughs> but incredible. Yeah, this, there's a couple, a couple of really, really good ones. Yeah, this film has probably my single favorite death in the whole franchise. Mm -hmm. Is it The Roach? It is The Roach. Of course it's The Roach. I, <laughs> Man, I, I, it's 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 amazing, and it's still like watching it again this morning. It grossed me out. And I was like, "Oh man, that is disgusting." Yeah, it's it's it's, it's legitimately revolting. <laughs> yeah, and that and um, yeah, and the sound design of it too, just like really really hits at home. Mm -hmm. And and the the finale as well with with Freddy kind of being ripped apart. Uh, the the makeup of that is just insane with all those arms like reaching out of him. Yeah. Uh, the makeup of that, I can't even imagine what that. That was like on set yeah, yeah. yeah i saw a video years ago of the various stages of them doing that and obviously there's mm. like when you see like linear quigley pushing out of the stomach and all that like right see, uh, that's right she's credited body and chest or something she's basically yeah. playing some boobs again which is a shame because she's great <laughs> um but uh that all that stuff was on a, such a massive scale and then they were they intercut it with a, the smaller kind of model and uh, it's just it was absolutely insane like it was like a huge huge set yeah. that they had built for this stomach and they were just like pushing actors into it right but but like jumping back to kind of the weird logic of the movie it's it there is i i genuinely get the sense that as we said there's a brian helgelin script under here and i have never read the full screenplay of this movie i'm willing to bet that certain things made more sense on the page mm -hmm. and then just some stuff that Rennie Harlan and like Bob Shea on were on set and they're like yeah his or like the reason he came back in the script's kind of cool but what if this dog pissed fire and the earth cracked open <laughs> I read something about they're like yes <laughs> I read that that was mentioned in passing as a kind of throwaway comment um, when Rennie Harlan happened upon James Cameron <laughs> 
And he just said, uh, <laughs> okay. and James Cameron asked him, how does Freddy come back this time? And he said something like, oh, uh, a dog pisses fire on him and on his grave and he comes back to life. And then he just went, do you know, it's, it's as good as anything we've got. We might as well. <laughs> it's funny. It sort of exposes the entire franchise a little bit with, and, and number three probably did the best of this, which is like the explanations as to why Freddy comes back and then why he's dead at the end. This movie, there is no, they don't even try to answer why. Like, it, it's just sort of, why is he back? I don't know. Um, he just comes back. Well, and why does why does that kill him at the end? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, <laughs> just... the logic the logic is elastic in this on on a number of levels. They get around it so easily by having Kristen say early on, "I feel like he's coming back." That's all she right. has to say. <laughs> and then anything that they do to make him come back is fine because she knew it was going to happen. I guess. Yeah, that's 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 right. It's just sort of like, yeah, I, I feel like he's there, and and maybe. <laughs> Then there's the stronger scripted stuff of, oh, no, okay, uh, Freddy needs Kristen to draw in the new batch of kids and then, like, open up the fresh meat to him, basically. Then that's how this story continues. So in a way, Kristen's responsible for every Nightmare on Elm Street movie that comes after this. Because mm-hmm. it could have just ended with the death of the three of them if she hadn't drawn Alice into the, into the picture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's some strongly scripted stuff in here that you can tell. No, there was some genuine thought here. And then there's some things where they just kind of threw something at the wall. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really, they're, they're often directly opposed with each other. Uh, we do get reintroduced to Joey and Kincaid, uh, Elm Street 3 survivors. We do, um, yeah. Very yeah. They get pulled in for a dream conference. Yeah, and they're understandably annoyed. <laughs> I, yes, understandably, yes. I, I did a, I, this is actually a funny story. I did a play with Ken Sagos uh, within my first couple of years of living in Los Angeles. All right. Uh, who plays Kincaid. And a lovely man, really nice. I. Uh, he he was featured prominently in the uh, horror noir documentary that was yeah. on that's on Shutter right now I think and he is to this day still uh, rightfully proud of being the first African American character to survive a horror movie and be brought back for the sequel. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean he there might be something else, but I certainly in major franchises he's absolutely right. Uh, he knows it and is kind of proud of it. <laughs> yeah, quite rightly I would say. But yeah, so some some pretty rapid fire character introductions going on after this because we're back in the real world. Kristen heads around. We meet Alice and Rick Johnson, major <laughs> players. Yeah, and they've got this. One of the things again that this movie does pretty well is the casting's pretty good. Lisa Wilcox is Alice, and what's his name who plays Rick? Andrus Jones, I think, is his name. Okay, right. Rick has something. Rick is like really charismatic, and you find I find myself like genuinely when he dies, you kind of feel something, and it sucks. You're like that guy was cool. <laughs> I I think that there's um there are a couple of stock characters in here, and I think that Rick is a character that kind of does kind of draw your eye more. He's doing his best Christian Slater impression. It's kind of yes, yeah, definitely. He's he's got something. He's he's very short. <laughs> <laughs> he is very short. But the scenes between him and Alice, and and kind of Alice's character development as this daydreamer, you know, and everything like that. Alice is a strong character, and and by the end, when she saves Dan in the hospital, she's a badass. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was I, I was definitely drawn to her as a young adolescent, pre adolescent male. I, think. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. I, yeah. She had sort of a I don't know how much you know, like uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She had a little bit of Willow before Willow energy. Uh, if you go, <laughs> she had that kind of shy, uh, nerdy redhead thing going on, and then she just kind of takes control and kicks some ass. Yeah, I, I was into it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I really like the dynamic between Rick and Alice and their dad because at first you're just like, what the fuck's this guy's problem? And it, it's right. it's actually quite funny. And then you realise yeah. that they've recently lost their mother and the dad's really struggling and he, he's turned to the bottle and that's kind of why he's the character that he is and it kind of loses that comedic edge. Yeah, I think the way that it unravels or the way that that kind of thread unravels as it goes on is pretty well done. It's scripted probably also, again, a little better than maybe it's pulled off. Like, the the the, the, the dad is played, like, really broad. Like, just really kind of... <laughs> uh, he's, like, such an asshole. And you're like, alright, this is played a little big. <laughs> and same with Kristen's mom is just flat-out evil. <laughs> and you're like, like, when they're standing in front of Freddy's house and Kristen's mom drives up behind them honking the horn Kristen <laughs> that is not a human woman uh, by the way she she drives away there and doesn't at all wait to see if Kristen no. uh, follows her uh, she doesn't demand Kristen gets in the car. She says, don't go in that house. Drives away, leaving her right in front of the house. Just totally leaves. And then slips her some sleeping pills later and forgets about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's really funny in uh, in the scene where we first meet Alice and Rick's dad, where um, Alice, who is dressed extremely conservatively, gets ready to go out for school and he goes, you're going to go out dressed like that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I caught that too. And he's like, you're going to wear that? It's like, oh yes, this extremely revealing uh, overalls and cardigan combination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was like, what did he mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he just means that he's like, no doubt, or a man's gonna go out dressing like a square. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what it is. But yeah, straight at the back of this, uh, we also meet Debbie at school, as Andy point, uh, as you pointed out when we were watching it, Andy, the eightieth, eighties person who ever eighties. Debbie's hair, man, like everybody else kind of i mean yeah uh Kristen's hair and Kristen's hair on the beach scene is like really very huge in 80s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but debbie's hair in every scene is just like insane yeah. <laughs> i'm sort of i'm sort of uh, amazed that that wasn't what kills her in this movie it's it's the roach <laughs> also finding it difficult to believe that debbie's at high school uh, yes yeah there's a couple of those in here where it's like you're 30 come on <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on now kincaid another one of those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure <laughs> yeah, you, were, you were a 35 year old man what are you doing at this high school <laughs> um we also at this point meet sheila um fill in that classic horror archetype of the wisecracking asthmatic sidekick <laughs> she does a, she does a good job there's a couple things about her that don't get explained or maybe were cut or something i don't like what is that box that Alice picks up from her after she dies? Does that? Oh. Did I miss it? Oh, well, is that ever established? It is, yeah, it is established. But what I will say before I get into that is I find Sheila an extremely triggering character having had my whole life endured severe asthma. Oh, uh, man. I find, yeah. that, I find her character extremely difficult to deal with and her death. She honestly kind of gets it worse and is just kind of an innocent bystander in the whole thing and she just happens to have the bad luck of being in class with Alice at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question about the little box, um, Sheila explains that she's made this device for Debbie due to Debbie's well kind of publicised fear of cockroaches and insects and that this will give off some kind of ultrasonic sound to get rid of cockroaches and bugs okay i must have totally missed that exchange because then alice picks it up when debbie die or when sheila dies and then uses it to electrocute uh freddie at the end which we'll get to that but <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah and i was like so what the hell is this box <laughs> yeah okay i somehow missed that oh yeah. I, I didn't put the second half of that together 
<laughs> oh, did you not know that that's what that was? <laughs> no, I mean, at that point, I think that the logic was so elastic that when she kind of electrocuted him at the end, I just, like, I didn't really think about the methodology at all. I was like, oh, I just guess she's electrocuting him now. <laughs> Again, with the music video logic. <laughs> yeah, totally, exactly that, exactly that. Uh, she reaches into the wall, pulls out a massive power cord, plugs it into this thing, and it's a lightning bolt. Oh, <laughs> right. it's basically <laughs> a laser that burns a hole through him, um, which was not at all what the device was made for. Well, don't I feel foolish. <laughs> Sheila was ahead of her time, really. Uh, yeah. Oh, massively, massively ahead of the curve. Um, we learn all we need to know about Rick next martial arts montage. Hello. Set to drama rama, uh, which is which is like again a, a scene I remember. Uh, I'm probably revealing too much. May may have acted out myself many times when I was in my preteen years. Ah, yes. <laughs> I love Rick's karate montage. He's got the karate kid headband on. He's got the nunchucks and glistering sweat. Looking straight into the camera oh, doing I... it too. It's so good. Right down the bottom. <laughs> but he has no discernible martial arts skill. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact that this montage ends with him just kind of like just finishing and just immediately being looked upon by his extremely disappointed father. <laughs> his dad is like, my fucking kid. Like, what is he doing? Is this how you're going to spend your time, son? <laughs> Why can't you jerk off like normal boys? <laughs> What are you even doing in there with your nunchucks? <laughs> yes, I would. I, I would rather. A... I, I would rather you were jerking off in there to really weird <laughs> to something really weird than being a martial artist. Just what are you even doing? I don't even know. I think with your hair gel and your martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knew, like, I had a guy at my school who, like, collected, like, ninja stars and, like, ninja weapons and stuff, and he was a fucking asshole. He was a th- they used to have catalog- catalogs for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was a total jerk-off. But also, let's talk for a second, talk again about, like, the budget of this movie. This soundtrack is huge. Oh, it's supposed to be a very expensive soundtrack in 1988. Yeah, I, um, when the music credits uh, came up at the end, I started furiously writing them all down because you've got uh, Alec Blondie and Sinead O'Connor and Go West and all these people who were huge at the time. Billy Idol. Uh, Bill, that's Billy Idol playing during Joey's death. Uh, yeah, and Sinead O'Connor, like you said, in Dramarama. And it's like, wow, this was a major... And this was the late 80s. This was when studios were making serious money off soundtracks. And I think, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, obviously, had Dream Warriors with Dokken. Amazing. Uh, but then this one, they, they doubled down and, and went big on the soundtrack, and I'm sure it probably paid off for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's not and, forget uh, the Fat Boys. Of course, <laughs> which I did listen to yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch looked like Are he was just wrapping up his notes, um, and then when that song started, uh, the, he looked so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there is uh, nothing quite like it. <laughs> yeah, no, just I, when I realized what was happening, I just had this beautiful moment of clarity and then just furiously reopened my notepad. It's so amazing. <laughs> First major casualty. Kincaid is off to Nightmare Town and this does not pan out well. No, and they, they give him, a, they give him a, a slight victory of pushing the car onto Freddy and he gets a victory for a moment. It's a pretty cool sequence, though. That's, again... There are there are reasons you see why they gave Rennie Harlan the job. There's a few again. They feel a lot of them feel like music videos now. Uh, but there's a few sequences that that are pretty impressive. And the the junkyard scene, the the lighting in the junkyard scene, the lighting in the church scene with Isn't Alice it, at yeah, the end was all like this fuchsia green light. It's like really impressive and kind of bold and and beautiful at spots. 
Mm. But yeah, poor Kincaid doesn't last long. I do not think it's a uh, coincidence, by the way, that Kincaid's dog is named Jason. That was going to be the very next thing out of my mouth. Uh, yeah, uh, not at all. Not a mistake, I'm sure. No, uh, they were probably just teasing them, yeah. And Jason, the Jason is the dog that pisses fire and brings Freddy back to life. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Freddy is back. I think that, like like you say, uh, Morgan, like the car's dropped on him. Kincaid, understandably, thinks that the job is done. He's wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, as deaths go in the franchise, a pretty low-maintenance one, really. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. There's a weird jump cut where it's just... You know, Kincaid's calling up to the heavens, and it just jump cuts, and Freddy's right there stabbing him already. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, well, okay, uh, yeah, it was a little weird. It, it's it, it makes you sort of investigate and think about all of the other movies too. About again, the the Nightmare franchise, where it's like, why is he back? Why is this guy <laughs> in dreams suddenly back when we thought he ki- we killed him last time? Mm. And the answer mm. is just sort of a shrug in most of these movies. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, he's back. At least with at least with Friday the Thirteenth, like when they killed Jason at the end of number four, they at least try to explain it in Jason Lives, right? Like they they stick a, a metal church rod like in his chest, and it's struck by lightning and now he's alive and it's like okay the movie is telling you that is enough to bring jason back to life yeah uh this movie is not even trying to do that it's just kind of like yeah and then a skeleton comes back together that's true and you can't and in those kind of situations you can preface that with the flimsiest shit ever and i will just buy it <laughs> right you know it's like if it was you, short of them well, just manifesting in front of you if it's just like like you say right. it's just like oh that was struck by lightning and that's done it i'm just like okay cool what now Right. Exactly. If you just give us, if you if you tell us the audience like this is why, uh, then you're like, okay, that's why. But these, it's I think it's since it's all under the umbrella of dreams and dreams are ethereal, and you know, it, then they get away. It lets them get away with certain things, and no more so than in the. Freddy's back because he's back. I don't know. What do you want us to say? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, on I think this is the last time Freddy's makeup looks good in the entire franchise. Oh, really? It's really good in this movie. That again, that the the makeup of 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 his body coming back together looks really good. And again, they light him pretty well. They don't. Well, until the beach. <laughs> He's in a lot of darkness for much of the Kincaid sequence, his first sequence back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they play, it's it's almost a hearkening back to the first one where you barely see his face for a good, you know, first few minutes of him chasing people. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, like I said, Kin- Kincaid's death, I think, by the standards of the franchise, pretty understated. The same cannot be said for Joey's death, which I think is great. I could talk about this for about three hours. Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. It's yeah, it's it is so good. It's uh the, the waterbed death is is iconic. I love the, the the naked girl who seems perfectly happy to be trapped in a waterbed uh industry. <laughs> yeah, to, totally yeah. unperturbed by the fact that there's no air down there. She's on hot no, no, she's on totally ticket to Hawaii. She's on Oh wow. I've only seen parts of it. Oh. I didn't realize that. That's hilarious. That's amazing. Um, Joey has always been a fan of the ladies and it's always got him into trouble. It happens with always. the sexy nurse in part three and yep, it happens yep. here again so, with the weird woman in his waterbed. Who the fuck's got a waterbed? I've never even sat on a waterbed. I didn't... I Did my mom have a waterbed? There was definitely <laughs> part of my life where I slept at least a couple nights on a waterbed and it's terribly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not... It's something that like seemed like a good idea at the time, and I think everyone realized that it's horribly impractical. Uh, yeah, it's it's not a good idea. It's a very eighties thing. Yeah, was, did they just get like discontinued after this entire generation of people had like problems with no lumbar support? 
<laughs> I think so. I think I think it was just sort of like it's a cooler idea, and then it's like no, no, actually, it's probably a good idea to have some support under your back. <laughs> yeah, like I think that's probably more. That's probably a better idea. I also just love part of the Joey's death scene. It's it's them kind of showing off their budget again, where they're literally just showing full clips from MTV. They're just <laughs> showing ads of MTV on the television. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty brash. They're like, yeah, <laughs> like, we'll just show ten full seconds of MTV on the TV. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Just because we can. um but yeah i think this death's pretty good much uh like especially when his mom actually finds him dead inside the waterbed Uh, again a little bit of music video logic like wait how did he actually get inside that waterbed why is the waterbed broken like you can't just get in there it's it's (laughs) absolutely showmanship at the expense of logic isn't it that's right but but it's that but it's such a cool reveal that you're like oh okay it'll be cool it'll be cool (laughs) and it's like that's the thing where if the writer was on set he's probably going but wait why if and the director's like shut up it's amazing (laughs) you know i've always had this fear when i was young. well i've always had it certainly not so much now that i'm almost 40 but um certainly when i was younger i had this fear of dying masturbating and my mum finding me oh no um and i kind of feel like joey's mum would probably expect that 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 end from him Less so this right. one. <laughs> right. Yeah, this this was a curveball on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> whereas like whereas like Rick's dad would be like, Are you masturbating in there? I'd be like, No dad, he's like, You're such a fucking disappointment. Here, have this joint in a in a porno tape for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Here, son, here's my old box of magazines. <laughs> Um, but but um, you were, like we we're talking about about um, kind of like Rick and Alice. But we're back to we're back to them after this, and um, we kind of get Chekhov's karate at this point. Oh, Andy, yes, I have my hand up. Just um, can we just very quickly talk about Freddy's one-liners? Because yes. he has one um, when Joe uh, when he kills Joey here. Uh, I think he says something along the lines of "How's this for a wet dream?" Um, oh yeah, is this for a wet dream? But- uh, yeah, there's some that are okay, and then some that are like the one-liners came in big in the third one, right? Like yeah. with "Get ready for prime time, bitch," and all those others. Um, this one definitely <laughs> they they, tur- they turn it up a notch in a couple places. I I think "How's This for a Wet Dream" is possibly the pick of a fairly poor crop. You were complaining. Like, you you flunk to Sheila is just kind of an afterthought. It's sort of like what. <laughs> 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 it's not even or or which which is even worse beforehand wanna suck face which is just disgusting oh god yeah that's fucking awful isn't it <laughs> it's so bad no sheila really let's get gets it worse than anybody in this movie man yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think he has a line of dialogue that isn't a quip up until the church scene at the end uh you're right i don't think he does uh he does not say well no he's got that scene with Kristen where he's trying to draw her back to draw in the friends oh yeah i guess something oh the one with the pizza uh, oh no 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 with with, with Kristen, oh, where, yeah, yeah, where sorry. Alice yeah. gets brought into it which that, that brought up something too i love part three but it's been a minute since i've seen it Kristen's power to draw her friends into the dreams that wasn't there in part three was it yeah yeah because she pulls nancy into her dreams and then uh Kristen and nancy have a moment in the hospital where they're sat together and nancy's like how long have you had this power for and she's like when did you learn you had it and she's kind of I forgot about that. Okay, I remembered Kristen just being able to like hop around and be a gymnast in her dreams. Yeah, that's Uh, that's secondary. That power 
doesn't seem to matter to her particularly much when compared to the yeah. fact that she's an incredible gymnast. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yes. Um, Rick starts uh, passing on some of his karate knowledge to uh, to Alice in uh, in a scene where he basically suggests that she solves simmering family conflict with violence. <laughs> That's right. And he gets and Swish killed the fish, uh, which feels like an improv. Which feels like an improv, and I quite like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I was. Yeah, that, that... Rick doing he's he's doing a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to character work. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, yeah, but like, like I, all this stuff is pretty good, and yeah, of course, uh, Alice's karate leanings seated crucially. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's again these these nice scenes between Alice, it, like Alice and Rick actually get a lot better scenes than than Rick and Kristen do, uh, which is kind of which is kind of good. Kristen is kind of a bummer, <laughs> which which rightfully so. I get it. But she's, she, you know, it's, she doesn't have much to do besides just be really pissed and tell everybody that, like, something's coming and they're all going to die. That's true. Yeah. That's true. She smokes extremely long cigarettes. <laughs> Virginia Slims or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just having this conversation. She's having the conversation with Alice. They have a, a conversation that's, like, very expositional. Oh, about yeah. um, yes. uh, kind of dream mastery and stuff like that. Yeah, the the cigarette she's smoking in that scene is conservatively two feet long. My wife had the kind of, <laughs> she <laughs> she hit the my wife hit the nail on the head during this. She said because we we were all watching it just before we came up to do this, and she said this scene plays out like a giallo. The dilogue yeah. feels it's that same kind of stilted way that the the dialogue plays out a giallo. I think this scene between it's even around a fountain, which is I feel like in so many giallo movies too, of just sitting around a fountain and discussing yeah. things dark dark things and smoking cigarettes yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly that true. um i think the scene between those two is terrible yeah I, I, yeah I i think it's probably it's 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 very much there to just kind of move things to where they need to be i think yes yeah you, you've got to, you got to lay some groundwork for for the alice Kristen connection if alice is going to carry us through the rest of the movie yeah yeah quite right quite right we have the nurse freddy sequence around about here um when uh Kristen hears about the deaths of uh joey and kincaid passes out and then ends up in the nurse's office this is totally bizarre this i there look it's the late 80s i don't want to say that like a lot of these creative decisions are probably uh prone to cocaine uh <laughs> like <laughs> but there's that is another like the dog pissing fire freddie in a nurse's uniform like everything like there's a few things that i'm like i feel like this was a result of some cocaine on set and they're like yeah yeah, yeah. you know be great do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean, like i'm not I'm, I'm not questioning the validity of it as a creative choice because it Why? worked for me <laughs> why well especially with the teeth the teeth reveal was good uh even though it's very obvious that it's robert england immediately yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna yeah. say if you're if you're talking about reveal in the strictest sense of the word it's the second that you see him that's a good point yeah <laughs> the next the we kind of visit the crave uh the crave inn should i say the uh the diner where alice works where hormones are king yeah the right. crave inn yeah, <laughs> yeah very on the nose that's where we do it do we get uh the intro of dan dan the major hunk the one major hunk dan yes uh who in a lot of ways for for a good part of the movie kind of feels like the audience's uh point of view for a little bit because he's sort of going these kids are crazy for yeah. like half the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Kid, kids also being the operative word, given that Dan is a, a fully grown man beyond oh, high school age. His hair and eyebrows are really very impressive, and I, I'm like, man, that, that head of hair on that guy is is something to something to behold. Yeah, it's pretty majestic. It's pretty majestic. <laughs> I would say yeah. if you lengthened his forehead slightly, there'd be a Vanderbeekiness about him. I, that's probably true. Yes, I agree. He's definitely a, a bigger, he, like a Vanderbeek, like varsity varsity blues Vanderbeek. Like he was definitely the more jockey Vanderbeek. Not Dawson's Creek. Yeah, no. that, that, that's an exceptionally precise James Van Der Beek <laughs> reference. I'm very happy with that. Not well, I could talk about no, no. That's best. <laughs> you've uncovered my secret expertise. <laughs> I was gonna say when you come back in a year's time, are we doing Varsity Blues? Is that what this is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I said, we, we do meet Dan here, but I, th- I feel like we don't learn very much about Dan in the sequence because uh, we are introduced to him and we kind of get the impression that he's kind of a popular kid, but also a nice guy. But the main thrust of the scene is Kristen coming in and uh, telling Alice that her fellow musketeers have been dream executed in the night. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> dream executed. That's good. I like it. How is, how is the dream executioner not the name of a Nightmare on Elm Street but a franchise title at some point? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but Dan, Dan kind of gets just kind of sucked into the group by osmosis at this point. He does. He's, uh, poor Dan. Yeah, he really does. Uh, and, and we know how he gets it. Uh, one of the more, he get he, he doesn't get it in this movie, but he gets it in part five in one of the worst kills of the entire franchise. Uh, not to give anything away. Oh, no, he didn't <laughs> give it away. Is that the one on the motorbike? That's the motorcycle oh, one. Yeah. God, it's, oh, it's terrible. I hated that one. <laughs> part <laughs> five is so bad. I mean, like Freddy, Freddy's dead is at least kind of fun and, and how like nuts it is. Part five is a bummer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that's really- Al- Alice deserved better than part five. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Just quickly, by the way, Kristen's mum questions whether or not Kristen's enjoying her dinner by saying, "Are you not enjoying your cuisine?" No one says. <laughs> no one says that. Yeah. She's full of her She's own a this one. High class lady. <laughs> she gives her kids sleeping pills and feeds them cuisine. You know, like she is a super high class mom. And sure enough, when Rick and Alice do pull up to her house, that is a massive house that they let Kristen lives in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I actually, I actually really like the scene though. I mean, yeah, because Kristen's mom yeah. drugs her out of kind of good old parental concern because she's not sleeping enough. But um, <laughs> I think that the kind of the moment where Kristen kind of explains to her that this is basically signing a death warrant is really good. Yeah, yeah. No, again, like there's a few, there's a few really like not bad dialogue exchanges in this movie that like makes you go like no the guy who wrote the script went on to do some really good things <laughs> yeah. yeah no i think that i think it's what is one of the better kind of character or story moments for me i think you never see Kristen's mother reacting to the aftermath of all this like, you do see her screaming at the doorway of the bedroom when they find oh, her burning do you? Oh, right, okay i must have missed uh, she is there she is there when rick and alice run in and see her burning on the bed they, they do just get a reaction shot of her screaming her head off finding her daughter uh, uh burning alive but yeah <laughs> that's that's it Kristen's mom is there to do one thing and it's kind of it's kind of be terrible and and the drug her daughter yeah but like it is funny though it's one of those like growing older things where she is played very broad in the movie but her actions are not crazy actions it's like well yeah okay yeah give is slipping your daughter drugs to so that they sleep not great but also I buy it. I buy that someone would do that, you know, and it's not like worst thing ever. <laughs> You're sort of like, yeah, okay, you know, like maybe trying to make sure that they get a, get some rest and only your, your your overdramatic teenage daughter saying, you just murdered me. It's like, all right, honey. <laughs> you just sell down. <laughs> Good night, you sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Alice gets implicated in all this next because we have a dream sequence of Kristen's. Okay, so this is the beach one we were talking about earlier where Freddy arrives in Jaws style. What do we think of this? <laughs> That's right. It's, um, yeah, it weirdly feels feels like maybe the cheapest scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the beach scene is not great. Uh, Kristen doesn't look good. <laughs> like, it's kind of, like, nothing kind of looks good in that scene. <laughs> And then it gets to the house pretty fast, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's um, it's it's very iconic, of course, with Freddy and the sunglasses. You know, that's he, that's a, a gif you see on Twitter daily at yeah, this point. He I, looks dumb in sunglasses. He does. <laughs> <laughs> he also looks kind of dumb in full sunlight. Keep him in the dark. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a horror thing. Keep keep the guy in the dark. Yeah, I I would say that that's probably kind of like that's. A- painfully revealing stuff uh in the scene uh but i i think that you're right i think that like everything about this it's not that it, it's not that it looks terrible it's just that everything about this scene the way it's presented looks a little off it looks like a fake beach yeah. it does look uh, like a fake beach yeah yeah it looks like a beach in a studio you know and it, it, c- complete with like the weird palm trees around them and stuff yeah, I don't know. It, it just doesn't quite look right. But, you know, it's they, they had to skim somewhere, I guess, and I guess they did it on sand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we can either get Blondie on the soundtrack or we can get better sand on the beach. What do you want to do? <laughs> I quite like it when he, actually, when he actually kind of forces it onto the quicksand. I think basically because I think that would be a horrible way to die. So uh, right, like, and how many kids had, and, and like how many kids and teenagers had like irrational deaths by quicksand, like in their number one fears growing up. Like people talk about that all the time. It's like I was afraid of quicksand for some reason. Yeah, it never happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was afraid of yeah. dying during masturbation, as uh-huh. I've already said. So <laughs> that is you know, a terrifying way for sure. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, we're back in like kind of I I do really like the boiler the boiler room kind of area where a lot of this stuff unfolds, a lot of the kind of dream stuff. So we're back in there pretty quick. Yeah, the lighting is super cool and uh, like pretty pretty intense and out there, and and Alice showing up in the wet nightshirt, uh, like that, that was very that was very interesting. Where it's just you know where Alice is pulled in and she's just dripping wet in this long white nightshirt. It's like why is she soaking wet? Never mind. Yeah, okay. <laughs> where were you before you were here? It's like I'm not complaining, but what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what what exactly were you dreaming about before this? <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, at this point, I mean, um, yeah, we lose Kristen. Yeah, uh, there's a changing of the guard for protagonists here, and it's kind of a it's kind of anticlimactic a little bit too. Kristen in getting thrown sort of into the furnace, into the burning oil, I guess, and then and then the soul going into Freddy and yeah, through him and into Alice. Uh, which is kind of interesting in setting up that, like, actually, it's funny. At the end of the movie, there is something pretty beautiful about the idea of gaining strength from your lost friends. And I was like, you know, there's actually something kind of lovely (laughs) about mortality and stuff about losing friends, about being able to go on and gain strength from them. It's a little messed up when you think about it. It's like the only thing that allows Alice to defeat Freddy is all this, all the powers she gained from her friends who died. But then also it's like, no, it's actually like when you actually think about it, like in terms of mortality and afterlife, you know, your your strength will be passed on to your friends to allow them to keep going. It's like, oh, that's actually kind of beautiful. Yeah, there's something in that, you know? Yeah, there's something there that, that was definitely thought about for a minute, I could tell. You know what, maybe, yeah. we're, maybe we're writing cocaine off just a little bit too readily. 
(laughs) (laughs) Again, again, there are broad ideas here that I was like, no, there's some genuine cool thought put into this movie. And then there's some finer details that they were just like, fuck it, do it. Uh, (laughs) There's both going on at the same time. So, yeah, like you say, Kristen's death on uh, kind of in dream, pretty uh, anticlimactic. The way it plays out in real life, way better. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And then, yeah, which is which is maybe why they saved it, which is maybe why her death in the dream is anticlimactic so they can save it to getting to her bedroom and she's on fire. Yeah, which I thought was pretty good. I like that. Um, there's, a, there's a little while here where I think that Alice and Sheila are going to take over as being kind of an intrepid duo, trying to figure out what's going on here, and then Sheila immediately died, and I realized that I was very wrong. It's so true. She, Sheila's, Sheila is, again, like, really good casting. She's very charming actress. She kind of nails every scene she's in. And then, uh, and then she's just gone, and you're like, "Damn!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you say, I mean, like, uh, she she gets like a really harsh death in the classroom. She um, does as as an asthmatic. She does. Yeah, like um, but like it's so severe because she's such collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really terrible, and and it's just kind of all Alice's fault, and it feels bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's I think it's it's extremely unkind. Staying in the school, though, straight off the back of this, I love the um, when Bob Shea appears as Professor Exposition. You know, like when he, when he's talking about dream that logic, is, I was like, what class is this? That's right. That is Bob Shea. Yes. Okay. Which is funny because his because Lin Shea, who's his sister, is the teacher in the first one. Mm, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's teaching, uh, obviously, Mitch, he's teaching dream studies. <laughs> of course. Incredibly convenient. <laughs> I took four semesters in dream studies. No, <laughs> and now I'm an actor. Exactly. Look what it got me. <laughs> pretty much yeah they're, they're connected by the way we did jump over one thing which i need to point to oh yes which oh. is a music video logic of after alice witnesses Kristen's death in the dream the photo of freddie and Kristen oh, in I- alice's bedroom like what that that is that is like this straight end of a music video type of shot where it's like freddie and Kristen on a postcard yeah the green in- from hell postcards in real life and it's like what is going on <laughs> uh, it's like all right, this is definitely like you know what would be cool it doesn't make any sense but this that's <laughs> true there's like there's there's not a single logic barrier this film won't smash through in the name of a showpiece it's so true, <laughs> it's so true. like yeah who cares it'll be badass and you know what 12 year old me thought it was pretty badass so maybe it was <laughs> i mean like I, i'm i'm quite willing to let some of that stuff slide for the sake of a cool visual or a kind of like a fun trick at the end of it I always am I think we're coming on to the most preposterous scene in the film um hmm, boy (laughs) I love that we're all like Rick in the bathroom stall with the cheerleaders no what <laughs> uh, uh, I was actually going to say Rick's death scene. Oh yes, which starts with Rick in the bathroom stall with the cheerleaders. Yes. So you're yeah, you're kind of half right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's set upon by cheerleaders in a bathroom stall. Everything seems to be going fine. And then <laughs> and his sister, which is a little weird. <laughs> yeah, less so. Yeah. And then um, uh, literally descends into hell in an actual elevator, waved off by a barbecued Kristen, which I really enjoyed. Thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was gross. That was that was that was kind of effective. Uh, that shot of normal Kristen in the mirror, and then she turns around and she's burned. I was like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of a cool shot. Yeah, I thought I yeah. thought that worked really nicely. But yeah, Andy Dojo. Yeah, yeah, the Dojo. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Rick fighting an invisible Freddy in a dream Dojo. I, I loved I loved uh, uh, Rick's karate gi and like Converse combination that he was sporting. It was a good one. You want to be the best you that you can be in your dreams, Morgan. For sure, you know, and and it's it's basically like sure and and we started with roadhouse where patrick Swayze's wearing g like pleated jeans and a karate top and like nightmare on elm street 4 says no 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 we can go a little further and they went full karate outfit but wearing like the converse sneakers yep strong strong yeah 
but yeah, Rick, his, uh, his big karate victory not to be. Do you know, I think all of this, it looks so silly that he's fighting nothing. Um, and I think they've done that because it's much, much easier than actually getting a fight choreographer in to choreograph a fight. It's so true. Yeah, it, there, there is, um, it, it might be its budget showing itself a little bit, even though that this was huge for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm-hmm. And and what like twelve thirteen million is a lot of money for a for a movie budget in nineteen eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may have been just for yeah. This is going to save us so much time if he's if he's literally just fighting air. <laughs> yeah, because there's no real reason for him to be fighting air. And it's sort of fast. It, it, again, Rick is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in this movie for character, and his death is only okay. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's tossed off pretty casually, I think, considering how critical he is as a character. He gets he gets a good setup with Kristen and with uh, with burnt Kristen and with the elevator. But yeah, the eventual death in the dojo is kind of lame. But then he gets the funeral scene, which is also pretty good. And yeah. and after after Rick dies and Alice is is. Uh, rightfully upset that's when the windows blow out in real life and you're like wait is Alice telepathic now is Alice like fire starter what's happening <laughs> wait but that doesn't make sense shut up it's amazing <laughs> got this guy ready to blow out the windows we're not going to tell him to stop <laughs> Or, or they're telling the writer, yeah, yeah, we're just going to do it. We're not going to use it. You're right. It doesn't make sense. We're not going to use it. We're totally going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, as we're kind of like, we're kind of pulling in towards, we're kind of assembling the group for the kind of final standoff. I love the fact that um, Debbie's defiance comes in kind of humble brag form when she's like, I don't spend hours working out for some night stalker to beat me. <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah, Debbie, oh, man. Yeah, De- Debbie's. They they don't give her much as a character. They I think this movie and part three did this really well too, where they were giving a character a kind of hallmark of what defines them, what are they afraid of, and and number four started to do it really well too, where it's like give us a snapshot of that character and then you know how they're gonna die. Like okay, the minute yeah. the fate of a roach in scene one, you're like, oh, that's gonna come into play. You know, it's like Sheila's asthma. Oh, that's gonna come into play. It's like the the Dungeons and Dragons character from part three. Uh, it's like, oh, yep, that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's just when you've got this ensemble of kids who you're going to have to knock off and you want to do something besides Freddy just stabbing them all. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. How about we try something different? And like maybe what their nightmare will be about is this. And that that continues on through the franchise and gets nuts by part six with like the video game kill and the hearing aid. And uh, I'm forgetting what else. But, you know, there's all of these other things that are brought into play that they just further and further take to to really insane degrees. Like there's the comic book kill from the fifth one, which is kind of cool. But uh, it, it starts to do it pretty well with this where it's like, you know, give us a snap. And Debbie, you're like. Working out, cockroaches, go! Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's, that's gonna have. That's how she dies. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think like um, at this point, I think we're kind of they kind of race through a couple of a couple of kind of pretty big kills. Debbie's one, I think. Uh, we may as well talk about it now. I think yeah. that it's uh, I th- it's it is easily the best one. I think that's amazing. It is. It's so gross. <laughs> it's so gross. Yeah, I like, actually have the word "gross" in block capital letters written down from when her arms. I, I, 
the arms, of course. I remember the arm snapping in half and that disgustingness. I'd forgotten about the face rip until I watched it again this morning. And I was like, oh, man, like, that is so disgusting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that part. Yeah, it's, um, it's so it's so nasty. But like I so said, like, so like the way that um, she kind of when she kind of goes full insect. It took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to realize what was going on there. It was like, you know, once you get <laughs> once you get stuck in the kind of orange, kind of the massive orange oh, kind of chewing gum right. thing. That you see the like the point of view out the back. Yeah. 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 I was like, I was like, oh, well, like, this is pretty cool. But why is she turning into an insect? Oh, <laughs> I see. Um, leading into this, too, was again, like a really ex- what felt like a really expensive sequence was Alice in the movie theater, which was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alice getting sucked into the screen and then going black and white for a little bit uh, is actually a neat little sequence that you could tell that they definitely spent some money on. Yeah, yeah, it works, it's it's a- really, it works really nicely. There's actually a lot of kind of cool stuff happens in this kind of section, like um, while they're the rushing look- to try to get to Debbie, there's the time loop stuff, which I think yeah, is really the- cool. Yeah, the Alice and Dan time loop, which again feels like a nice, tightly scripted moment that was probably like, yeah, as scripted was a neat idea, and they actually, and it actually survived and made it to screen. Yeah, I uh, yeah, it plays out pretty convincingly. I think I like it. I like it a lot. Also, but but uh, we need to again talk about grossness and talk about Freddy and the Soul Pizza. Uh, which is just when I mentioned this to my friend the other day, he was like, was that the one where Freddie eats the faces on the pizza? And I'm like, yeah, I think it is. See, came up and I was like, oh no, this is disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. And that is Rick. That is Rick's face. And I really like, I wanted to, I would love to have been on set for that day. It's like, okay, so now we're going to put your face in this weird like pizza and you're going to scream and cry out and get stabbed in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, like, um, and even just before that, when Alice goes into the diner and meets her future, kind of meets her future self. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Neat little sequence, yeah. It's again like nicely done. Um, yeah, it, there's there's just no gap between the cool, interesting moments in this movie and then the just total batshit banana stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, now yeah. you say it. I mean, like back to back in uh, those two sequences, and then when Alice uh, tries to like kind of sees Freddy in the street when she's driving with Dan, tries to run him down and crashes the car, and Dan yeah. is taken away to hospital. That entire passage doesn't really put a foot wrong. Nope. Well, and then you lead into Alice's gearing up montage, which oh, yeah. is badass. <laughs> like <laughs> Alice's transformation by the end of this movie, again, teenage me was into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I had I had some awakenings watching Alice. Go. <laughs> I love the moment earlier where she's kind of finding out that she's has been absorbing these powers, and you see yes. her kind of getting to grips with the fact that she now knows how to use the nunchucks. Uh, That's right. Yes. And uh, it is the most unconvincing wig for the nun, whoever it is that's working <laughs> that's, right. that's yes. operating yeah, those right. nunchucks. <laughs> yeah, but the idea of like, no, she's the dream master. She's taking all of her friends' powers. It's like, all right, man, I'm into it. Let's do. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think and, I think and, the way it gets there I, is great. And by the time she say, and and I I appreciate the sort of flipping on its head that it does, where Dan, the big jock, it needs needs saving. Yeah, sure. and yeah. Alice like comes to the rescue and smashes through the window, and you know, and it's it's pretty impressive. And she's it she feels like the dominant one there. Like never does it switch back where Dan's like, all right, I'm going to take control now. It's like no, Alice is the is the one who's going to save the day, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like it's important to say, though, that although she has absorbed all the powers of her friends, 
actually has no bearing at all on how Freddy is dispatched. Uh, that's that's yeah. That's the, the the movie falls apart a little bit right there. It's the the Dream Master poem or whatever. I, I don't know. It's and we've been dealing with the mirrors the whole movie of like Alice starting to see herself and not afraid to see herself anymore. But there's just. Again, I hope that there is a draft of the script where it made more sense. It makes absolutely no sense. It's the biggest shrug of... And you have this pretty like extended fight sequence between Freddy and Alice that's just them going back and forth for a while. Yeah, yeah. Ex- extended a is the very word. Long, I, very long time. Yeah, I felt like I was watching that for 45 it minutes. Goes on, <laughs> it goes on a little too long. I will say they lit the hell out of that church. Yeah. Like the, the cinematography and the lighting in that sequence is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It, it goes on a little long and then it just sort of ends. And then we get, or, and then we get that amazing effect of all of the souls starting to reach out and like, you know, these arms, uh, these, these small arms reaching out and like wrecking Rick, uh, Freddy's body, but, yeah. which is really impressive and gross, but it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Weird little Donald Trump hands. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, I literally the note the note when it comes to that part of the movie on my on my notepad is the mirror dot 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 huh <laughs> yeah that's fair uh, I think but, also like the way that the way that um uh, the tip for defeating her uh, defeating Freddy is relayed to her via a spectral children's choir <laughs> that's, that's it that's, which again feels like an eighties music video <laughs> yeah very much so my note says yeah. killed by a mirror how galling yeah how galling <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah like that well done yeah and then the there is a really terrible graphic of the cloud of her friends flying by her yeah. afterwards. God. Uh, where it's literally like you see Kincaid's and Rick's and Kristen's face like flying past her and she's sort of smiling and feeling nice about saving her friends. <laughs> but it's a really terrible VFX <laughs> shot. <laughs> I also feel like the voices... Smiling frozen faces. <laughs> yeah. The voices go on way too long. Yes. They're like, goodbye! Bye. Bye. Uh, and it's like Bye. what is happening <laughs> i really wish that like as kincaid was passing out to give her a slow motion thumbs up <laughs> yeah literally it's it should have been someone like giving her a high five or something <laughs> like where'd he go <laughs> um I also i i'm rest in hell as a sign off i i groaned out loud as um yeah. as a parting shot as a quip you groaned a lot <laughs> you Just, did, yeah mostly at the quips yeah yeah. yeah, there's a few there's a few groans and a lot of them are the quips, which were probably, you know, you hear about that. That stuff is probably like writer's room, you know, like bringing in like punch up comedians. All right. What does Freddie say when he kills someone uh, who's a roach? Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> best idea wins. Throw me some quips. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street series when you compare it to some of the other similar horror franchises. But. I found myself... These are obviously intended to get laughs, but right. I'm never laughing at what Freddy says. No, I I think what it has... The, the number one thing that it has going for it is the imagination. Yeah. Because, yeah, we have quipping killers in other franchises, you know, not, not Michael Myers or Jason, obviously, but, like, okay, yeah, like, the Leprechaun and Chucky, like, they quip all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. And so quipping isn't necessarily you know, what sets it apart. But the kind of the dream logic and being able to get truly imaginative and fantastical has allowed for some pretty cool fucking things. Like, you know, the roach kill is not possible in any other franchise, right? I yeah, mean, like, yeah. what, other, what other that would that make sense? It's like, 
well, Freddy turns a girl into a roach and then he crushes her in a roach motel. It's like that wouldn't make sense in any other franchise or any other story. So the fact that Wes Craven, I think, was able to just give people this canvas and this paintbrush of like, yeah, but it's in dreams. So almost anything goes. Mm-hmm. And that that is played for both positives and negatives uh, in, in the franchise as it goes. But it, it allows for some pretty amazing stuff that definitely stuck with me a lot longer than just Michael Myers knifing somebody yeah. or, or Jason ramming a, a spear through somebody. Um, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I love those movies too. But um, I, I appreciate, I always appreciate the kind of the strange, pure imagination going on with these. And this is kind of the biggest, brassiest, craziest one of them all. It might have high, it might have the highest body count of all of them too. I didn't count. I don't know. Mm. But uh, it, it's, you know, it's got some, just the potential for, for them what to do. I, Nightmare on Elm Street, the series always kind of stuck with me for those reasons, because it had it had a bigger playing field to mess with rather than just like, well, don't go to Crystal Lake. Well, don't go to such and such, you know, like, don't fuck around with that place. Well, you mean uh, talking yeah. about Freddy's Nightmares, yeah? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah exactly. Yeah, for sure. But I, this one is, yeah, it's <laughs> as it's still a lot of fun and it makes a lot of sense as to why 10 or 12 year old me was super into it, because <laughs> it was just kind of like there there's so many cool tableaus and ideas and yeah being a little older watching going like okay sure fine i guess that makes a weird sort of sense but this one uh, holds up for me as not as strong as part three mm-hmm. uh but still worth watching and, and a good fun time when you're up for it oh, definitely yeah, yeah i'd be inclined Though, to, i'd be i'd be inclined to agree with that i think like um uh this was actually this was actually a first watch for me surprise surprise oh no kidding yeah um i've seen the first three but um uh this was a first watch literally right before we came up to do this week on week i tell people this <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah um i thought this was really interesting I like, I like i didn't love it and f- again without kind of being able to look at it through the lens of seeing it when i was kind of that age sure i think that watching it with fresh eyes um age 32 is a kind of interesting experience and i think that like i pretty much i think we've touched on a lot of it through this i think that some of it works for me and some of it doesn't i think some right. of the set some of the set pieces are great i don't particularly like the a lot of the way that freddie actually himself has played off here no um, i agree he's very secondary in a lot of ways and and you're right i, I you know when we pointed out that he t- he barely has many lines besides quips yeah uh besides that one scene with Kristen in the end yeah, yeah. but i think i think that the the kind of one kind of good thing about him being a little bit more tangential is that it does give the kind of character stuff that you touched on and the family stuff a little bit more room to breathe it does and that's definitely in there than the more than the others the other movies that i can remember anyway yeah but yeah it is sort of that thing where this happens sometimes where you see almost the the things that the movie gets right almost makes the things that it gets wrong stick out even more. Agreed. Because <laughs> you're Absolutely like, you agreed. find yourself drawn into these scenes and you're like, oh, wow, that was actually a really nice moment. And then it's followed up with something. You're like, all right, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Andy? Um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, this is the this is kind of the point where, for me where the, where the flaws become more and more obvious and the series kind of starts to lose its way. And while this film has my favourite Freddy Kill in it, and I also think it's my favourite Freddy death, if you... Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, with the arms, yeah. I feel like by this point, the series is starting, although it's so massive and on such a huge scale compared to everything that's come before it, 
I feel that this is start- the kind of the point where, for me, the series is starting to run out of puff. I agree. I mean, well, and yeah, and you can just point to the next two movies after it as, oh, like, yeah. it's definitely crested the hill and is on its way down. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> I think this film was so did so well and was so successful. And then the, the, the rush to get the next one out, everything suffers. <laughs> everything looks cheap. Freddy's makeup is ridiculous. Ridiculous and the dream child he looks terrible and i think they also i think they also realized they probably spent too much money on this one yeah. uh, mm-hmm. where they were like look it, because part three made great money on a five million dollar budget and then they as i said they like made this on 13 million dollar budget and it only made a little bit more than part three and so they were like we don't need to spend that much. Like yeah. let's, and so part five is actually, I think like an $8 million budget. Right. And so they pulled back and they're like, we don't need to go that crazy. You know, not everything needs to be so big. So they pulled back, but also part five is, you know, I, there's long stories about part five and all the troubles it yeah. had, but yeah. it's yeah. just rough. But it's such or, a, uh, it's such a marked stark drop off. I think it really the franchise. Like, I, I, I like, I guess not, not to compare it to other franchises, but like we we all know the Friday the Thirteenth franchise starts to run out of steam, kind of the closer you get towards ten, um, right? But at the same time, it is what it is, and you don't really have a massive expectation for it. But I think to move from a film like like the Dream Master, yeah, to Part Five is it's like night and day. Yeah, it's it's a it's a rough transition for sure. And then Part Six, I I feel like parts part. I mean, Freddy's dead if you look back up it's like it actually made a lot of money simply because i think they were saying freddy's dead you know they called it freddy's dead and so that was enough to get people into the theaters they also had like a couple big silly ideas like you know what that was the one with the roseanne Barr and tom arnold cameo and alice cooper's in it too johnny depp's got a cameo and um, is he in part six he's on the um when brick and miles watching the television um, Johnny Depp's on it saying this is your brain on drugs and he's like cracking an See, egg in a frying pan I forgot about that yeah yeah. yeah. I forgive part 6 a little more than I forgive part 5 because I feel like part 6 saw what went wrong with part 5 and what part 5 was and the issues it had and the deception it got and it kind of played up on that a little bit part 5 is, is uh, maybe it's like they took the note of Freddy's getting too silly Freddy's getting too gimmicky they almost took it too much too much because the whole dream child metaphor is kind of so dark and not fun and like really weird <laughs> and it's just kind of like i'm just kind of not into it uh you know from the get-go mm-hmm. yeah and just the whole idea of like and the first person it kills is the dad is dan and it's like shit like this, <laughs> this is up, man this is a bummer now <laughs> watched it in a while but those are just feelings when i think about it i'm like yeah that movie didn't work for a lot of reasons um i'm yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that i have these to look forward to as i make my way through them now yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> I, i'm happy i'm happy to have uh, been party to your exposure to the dream master because i think it is worthwhile and i think it is you know especially uh it, once you get through the the actual like solidity and like good decent movie that is part three uh, you gotta go to part four and just kind of, even if it is the start of the the downward slope, mm. uh, you kind of have to see where it goes. And it is, it is Freddie at it had his highest budget. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's that's worth checking out. And, and it is a a big late eighties music video of a movie. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you know, there's room in the world for those. Well, and and literally, Rennie Harlan right after this took off like uh, like Absolutely. a year and a half later. He had Die Hard two and what was the other big one? 
he had two in 1990, and I'm forgetting what they are. Let me look them up real quick. I mean, he went on. He had, he went, obviously went on to do like he went on to do Cliffhanger and Deep Blue Sea and right. He went right after Die Hard. He went right after this. He went right into Die Hard Two and Adventures of Ford Fairlane. That's right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> then he had so a, he, went, he had a bit of a stumble with Cutthroat Island. Oh boy, that yes, uh, I think he'll be happy for that. You called it just a bit of a stumble. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he went from this to a $70 million budget for Die Hard 2. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there wow. we go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Morgan, what have you been up to lately? Uh, man, I things have been busy. Things have been, have been cool. But I, I, as you mentioned at the top, I'm now doing this weekly uh, Dungeons & Dragons live streaming show on a service called Caffeine, uh, which is called The Dungeon Run. Okay. Uh, it's amazing. I, I, you know, I've played D and D for years. And so this is a, a lot of fun to kind of do it for a full audience. And they're released on YouTube a couple days after we do each episode live, but it's a lot of fun. If you go to like caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run, um, that's something really fun that I'm doing and, and, uh, hope to be doing it for a few more months and, uh, we're, we'll, we'll keep going as long as people keep watching. So that's a fun one to keep up. But, um, on the, on the horror side of things, got some cool stuff in the works for some features down the line, uh, that I hope to talk more about soon. Cool. And yeah, all the creatures were stirring was, uh, I produced and I was in last Christmas. And, uh, if, if you enjoy a good Christmas horror comedy, it's always a good time. We're streaming on shutter right now and in other places. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to pop up. I've got other things in the work. I pop, I do a fair amount of TV and commercial work. Uh, there's some stuff coming that I can't talk about yet. Um, but you know, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, at Morgan Pete Brown, I, there's, my name is one character too long for the character. <laughs> oh, and Morgan Pete Brown. Uh, <laughs> yes. um, but, uh, you can follow me and kind of keep up with all the stuff I've got going on. I, I've, I, I've been, um, so so lucky to have worked in with horror in the horror genre and work with some amazing people yeah, and a lot yeah. of them have been on your show yeah, <laughs> yes they have yeah uh, good lord yeah, yeah. i work, working on something with jill gavergizian uh, right now actually and jill's amazing and and uh, we can't wait to show more people what we've been working on together oh amazing yeah but um, um yeah yeah i was i was actually um i was in the room for the uk premiere of all the creatures oh that's amazing Thank you. At uh, at Soho, right? Yeah, yeah. it was um, it was it was a really fun screen. I really liked the film. Um, I won't talk about it too much because I talk about it to Rebecca and Dave as well. But, um, <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate that. Yes, yeah, it's uh, that movie was a blast, and uh, it made made with some of my favorite people, and I think we were really happy with with how it came out and uh, and the release it got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Amazing. and uh, I haven't listened to your contracted phase two episode yet with Josh. I really need to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, you're you're treated quite well. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I I I hold that movie in high regard. It was bonkers fun, and Josh, I that that movie was was just fun with my friends Josh and Matt Mercer and Marietta and everybody. Yeah. Uh, and I got to do some pretty bad shit stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, um, yeah, not to give anything away, but we all come up pretty positive on it. Oh, thank you. Okay, well, then I will listen. Thank you, then. <laughs> yeah, but yeah it was, it's the first time we've ever had anyone come on and uh, do their own film, which I would be up for doing again, but it was a 
very game thing for Josh to do, I think. That's I yeah, I, I, I should listen because I, I was when I was scrolling through some of your back episodes as I saw that it was like, Oh my god, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, when we posted we were doing it, Matt Mercer messaged us, he was like, What? 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 Excuse <laughs> me, <laughs> what? Uh, Morgan, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I'm really glad we were able to make it work. Thank you, Morgan. Guys, this was brilliant. This was a blast. Thank you for letting me rant about Nightmare on Elm Street 4 <laughs> for almost an hour and a half. <laughs> You're so welcome. Anytime. <laughs> thanks, you too. Take care. Cheers, Take care. Bye. I absolutely loved that. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That yeah. was great. Yeah. Really, uh, really so, fun. yeah, that was uh, Morgan Peter Brown joining us to talk a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Yes. See if I was the Dream Master. If you were the Dream Master. Yes, right. okay. I would invade your dreams every single night. <laughs> I would just drive you slowly insane by entering your dreams. See if you were having a dirty dream, I would morph my face into the person you were fucking. Just to really just to really fuck with your mind. I would get into you, I would get it like insidiously. Get a crop up in places I should not be within your dreams. <laughs> This is like that. That's fucking horrible. Why would you You'd do be that? texting me angrily, like Kincaid and Joey in the morning, going, "Andy, fucking stop <laughs> it! <laughs> stop coming in! Stop invading my dreams!" Just you pitching up in every dream, just being like, "Mitch, Mitch, come here, look at this." <laughs> I'd just be like, you know, the bit in a in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, like the first one, when Nancy's lying in the bed and Freddy comes out the wall. <laughs> 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 That'd be me just living down on you. Right, you know what? I'm not indulging this any further. We need to get this over and done with and get out of here before this conversation starts haunting, haunting my dreams. Fine, okay. <laughs> but yeah, big thank you to Morgan. That was a lot of fun. Loved it, loved it. And we'll be back very soon indeed. We'll be back Monday. Yeah, we will. With uh, yet another mini-sode, and we'll be burning through all of our usual topics on that one. We'll be taking a look at what we've been watching. Yeah. We'll be charting my progress through the Shockwaves 100. We will be playing another round of Mitch's Pitches. More to the point, hopefully you will be playing another round of Mitch's Pitches. Me? Because, uh, those guys, the listeners. All right, not because, me. Well, I mean, you can if you want. That's, I don't want to. I, was gonna, but, um, but I the, make the image. I know the what the film is. standard of listener pitch in the last few weeks has been absolutely fucking sky high. Uh, it's uh, been so good. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, more of that, please. And if you do want to get in touch with us, there are loads of ways that you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at strongviolentpc and you can of course also email though no one ever does stronglanguagevioluntscenes <laughs> at gmail.com we, we're not as sad as we sound though we do get plenty of interaction via the other methods it's true and, the, and, we, and we get like press emails and stuff we get uh, press emails and we get like bills for podbean <laughs> yeah and we, and we do most of our correspondence with arranging guests through the yeah. email so it's not about to pass out from us how are we justifying this yeah it's not about to uh, <laughs> yeah you know what fuck it no we don't have to do this <laughs> Uh, and yeah, uh, so thank you very much for listening. Yes. And uh, yeah, there are heaps of places you can listen, but we would always recommend Spotify, iTunes, or of course our home, our hosts at Podbean. They do great work. And of course, if you want to help us out, whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, if you could just do whatever its thing is for saying that you like it, whether it's like, subscribe, review, rate. I don't know if you can do that on Spotify. Yeah, I don't know if you can either. Spotify's lame. You hate Spotify. <laughs> I fucking hate Spotify. Yeah, the, you, I've you, gone right off them. I was going to say, your vendetta Spotify is entering its third month. <laughs> it's just simmering away. That's what's haunting my dreams. <laughs> just that green logo hovering out of the darkness in my dreams. Jesus Christ. 
Right, let's get out of here before this descends into farce. We will be back on Monday. Join us then if you can. Andy, can we do better than advice about chuds this week? Well, you see, I was thinking about quotes from Freddy and I had a look through them and they were universally terrible. Right, yeah, we've just been <laughs> saying that, so... <laughs> so instead of leaving you with advice about chuds, because you know what the advice is, basically, mm-hmm. by now, um, what we will do is leave you instead with the... We will leave you with the hip-hop classic that is Are You Ready For Freddy? by the Fat Boys... And DJ Freddy himself. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. Goodbye. Bye.
You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.